Direct from Montreal, Canada, this is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Welcome to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Lots going on in the world of rock, but it is December, so uh, we're going to take a little bit of a left turn here and uh, just go a little more festive. And uh, we will start off with Eddie Leverett of the OJs. They have a new album out called The Last Word. The OJs, of course, are best known for uh, songs such as A Love Train, Living for the Weekend, Family Reunion, uh, I Love Music, and uh, more. And, of course, well, of course, uh, For the Love of Money, which was the uh, theme song for The Apprentice for for many, many years on NBC. And uh, on the other side of that, I have got Mark Martell, uh, Canadian Mark Martell. He's got a new album out called The Christmas Collection that sort of compiles all the Christmas stuff he's done over the years. And for those of you that uh, follow the band Queen, you will know that he was part of the uh, Bohemian Rhapsody movie in terms of voicing it or singing on it. He's also the uh, lead vocalist for the Ultimate Queen Celebration and uh, is involved or was involved with the Queen I guess it was the Queen Extravaganza with that that Roger Taylor and all that had put together. Anyway, uh, we'll start off with uh, Eddie Leverett, and uh, then we'll head over to uh, Mark Martell. Both interviews reasonably short, just a little bit, a uh, little north of fifteen minutes each. So uh, here we go. Here is uh, the one, the only, from the OJ's. Eddie Levert. We are speaking with the OJ's Eddie Levert. The uh, new album, which uh, actually came out in the spring, is called The Last Word. Uh, Eddie, bonjour. How are you? How are you? Bonjour. Yes, I say that because we're in Montreal, so I always say bonjour. But no, I'm, <laughs> I'm doing good, and it's a pleasure to talk to you. We we tried to connect last week. It didn't work out, but here we are, and we're going to talk all things OJ's. So that's That's great. right. That's right. So, so talk to me about this, uh, the last word, this this new album, because from what I've understood, it is the last studio album. You, you've actually said, you know, bands do these farewell tours, but now you've done the farewell album. Yeah, well, I, I you know, I, Mitch, I have to say that it, it would be the last one if the fans don't, don't want to hear any more from us. But I think we're going to have to do another one because they're 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 claiming that we should do uh, another album just to make sure that it's the last one. You know what I'm saying? So they're not sure, and I'm not sure. But this one, this album came about. Uh, it, it was a vision of our manager Toby Ludwig and a vision of uh, uh, Mr. Steve Greenberg, who is the the chief over at our record company. And um, they felt like they needed to go in the studio and do just another OJ album in the old fashion, the way that we used to do with live musicians. So they got live musicians, went in the studio along with Betty Wright, Sam Hollister, uh, Mike Mangini, Steve Greenberg, and and uh, some people from... Uh, um, from the um, Bruno Mars camp, and we and we did an album, and it and it turned out pretty good. We did some political stuff, we did some love stuff. We reached we reached back and did a oldie but goodie by doing Sweeter Tomorrow, uh, a, a tune that was penned by Bruno Mars, "Enjoy Yourself," and then we got uh, Betty Wright did. Uh, 
above the law and uh, I got you. And, and one thing I found out that this was completely different from the way that we used to record. We used to go in and learn the songs and know that we'd spend maybe three, four months rehearsing the songs. So we knew the songs backwards and forth. Well, now the business is such a producer-driven business that you don't even get that chance to learn the song. They might give you the words and say, well, brush up on the melody and see how close you can get to knowing it. And then they'll go in the studio and then the producer might give it to you line for line and you do the whole song like that. So, and but But I guess that's because they have a vision of how they want it to be. And so you you just do what they tell you to, and you're gonna sound like you anyway because you can't sound any you can't sound different because you are who you are. And as an artist, you know, and it turned out great. You know, I I was surprised at the at the finished product. It was really a it was a great 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 effort. It, it really was. So, so talk to me just about about the message in the music because the, the OJs have always had a message. You, it wasn't just "Hey, baby, baby," you know, whatever, whatever. There was always something. And this, right. and this wasn't, uh, you know, this was uh, the same thing, you know, because we did a song called "Above the Law," which uh, addresses a lot of political things that are going on. Uh, the, the song "Enjoy Yourself." was uh, uh, about, you know, relationships, okay, uh, of how they deal with them in today's world. And then you got the I Got You. That's like, uh, you know, we, we, we're together in this, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm the one that's got your back. Even if you falter, know that I'm there for you. And then you got a song like Stan, which uh, addresses the, uh, the the children and the missing children and how these people are grabbing children and, and, and disappearing with them and the things that are going on in our school system. So this album is just a common copy of what we have been doing and what we're still doing as far as this record is concerned, too. So let me ask you about messages. Is that something that that you always had in terms of inside you, or was it Kenneth Gamble and Leon Huff who who sort of said, "Hey guys, if you're going to be recording stuff, say something." Where did it come from? And also, then talk to me a little bit about working with Gamble and Huff because they they were one hell of a team, right? It it comes from both sides, Gamble and Huff. You know. Uh, we just from our church upbringing, as far as me and Walter and and the rest of OJ's concerned, that that's what we always have wanted to do: give a message in the music, instead of you know wanting you to understand why you dance. And so, just being with Kenny and Leon, it was just uh, you know a perfect match because they felt the same way. So when we did stuff like Family Reunion, when we did stuff like Message in the Music, when we did stuff like uh, Love Train and For the Love of Money, that was right up our alley. And it was like, uh, it, it, you know, music, I don't think music should be all lovey-dovey. 
sometimes music is the best way to get a message out to your people. And working with Kenny and Leon, it was like, uh, you know, Kenny was the melody man, the 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 last word guy. He was the guy that did most of the mixing and made sure that the that the songs had the right melody and the right tempo as far as the songs are. And Huff was the music guy. He played the instrument and everything was built up around him musically. And uh they they were such a great team, man, that uh you didn't they, there was not every bass was covered with them. You know, the music, the melody, the lyrics, the the the, the sound, you know, it all came from just those two guys. And then we brought our vocals and the way that we sang in our gospel feeling, and it became a perfect, a perfect match. It really did, and, and of course, uh, you know, they really, they really put forth that that Philadelphia soul sound, right? It, it was just like you yeah, said. <laughs> absolutely. And and if you and if you if you listen carefully to that music, like uh, before we got there, everything was just a little syrupy. You know, you had songs like Cowboys, The Girl. Uh, you had the stylistic. The, everything was just uh, real poppish, real slurpy kind of stuff. And then once we got there, everything changed. You got you got the Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes. You got the OJs. You got uh, you got. Uh, uh, the 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 what it was the, the three degrees. Then you got uh, Teddy Pendergrass, and you know all of that stuff became had a little more gospel overtones to it, a little bit more soulful than their earlier stuff. It really did. Now let me get back to uh, the last word because it obviously is not the last word. You've already told me that, but y you've done backstabbers and love train and for the love of money and I love music and living for the weekend and sing. You know, single after single after single. You can go tour. You can play these songs. Why bother with new music? And, and you know what I mean. I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but why? Why go through all the machinations of getting a studio and a producer and blah 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 and writing songs? Why not just say, hey? We're going to go into, okay. Because, Mitch, you're, you're running into newborn people. You're running into the millennials. And, you know, they maybe haven't had a chance to hear those songs. So, and radio is constantly changing, and there's no way that they, they're going to continue to play. The, and kids have a thing that they feel like, well, that's old dad and I don't want to hear that. That's old music. So you're trying to reach a new crowd. So you end up trying to do something new that maybe they will get a chance to hear the message. They, you try to give it to them in their language and the way that they speak and the way that they can handle it and the way that they can understand it and the form that they can understand it. So, yeah, that's why you do new music because the, the world is constantly evolving. And there's constantly new people and there's new ideas and you have to try to get into it relatively, if that's such a word. You try, you try to stay relevant with whoever you're dealing with. You do. Now, the, the album, of course, does close with an updated uh, version of I'll Be uh, Sweeter Tomorrow Than I Was Today. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah. uh, which was 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 great because it was sort of the first top ten single, and it was this it was this sort of uh, full circle. Here's the first, and now this is the last album, but it's not the last album. But is that something that interests you to go back and maybe take ten, twelve, fifteen of the classics, and you know just sort of brush them up and give them well, a little because because you you're gonna always feel them a little different, Mitch. You're gonna always feel you know. That there's no way that you're gonna that I can sing any of those songs the same way night after night. So you get you get different feelings for them. You get a different feel for it when you sing. So yeah, you know you might even change it a little bit. Put put it on a slower tempo or a faster tempo or just make it something that you you know acoustically. You know what I'm saying? Just to change the feeling of it. Right. But would you want to do a full album? Do you want to sort of get back in the studio and record a full album of reimagined classics? Yeah. Okay. I would love to do it. Yeah. Okay. I would love to do it because you 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 feel them a little bit different. After you got to remember that some of that stuff is like sixty, maybe fifty or sixty years old. And so, and you've been doing, I've been singing that stuff for maybe 50 or 60 years. So I feel them a little different. I might feel them with an, with maybe a reggae beat or maybe with a uh, uh, European uh, disco beat. It might be, um, it might be interesting to do that stuff in different, different genres. It would. And uh, I'll ask you a couple more questions because we're going to run out of time here. But uh, Canadian Drake has a song called Fake Love that, of course, sampled uh, the yeah. OJ's Backstabbers. Yeah. Talk to me about, about that. First of all, how, how important was it for you to get your music to younger fans? Because it was known and people were like, oh, hey, what is that? And also, yeah, yeah go ahead. Well, I, I, I think that's that's what I was speaking on earlier. You know, the world is constantly evolving, so you want to reach those people. And so, you know, with with these kids sampling the music and doing different versions of your music, I mean, that get, you reach an all new audience. And they think that it's new, but we know that it's some old stuff put with a new idea to it. That's what we were speaking about earlier as far as wanting to do a album of old stuff and try to give it a new treatment. And I think that's uh I think that's just moving forward and being innovative in this business. It really is. And and, and so but you don't have any any problems with people sampling music. I mean that's that's No, that's, not yeah. at all. I think I think that takes a little bit of genius to do that, to take something old and make it new and make it new where other new people are willing to accept it and think that it's something new. I think that's genius. It, it is. Uh, and so, and then I'll finish on this cause we're going to run out of time, but you have been there uh, since the beginning. Talk to me about sort of sticking it out. Was there any, any time where you just said, all right, I'm done with this. I'm going to pack up and just go home. And and what sort of have kept you being an OJ all this time where you just went, nah, man, this is my place in life. Yeah, well, this, you, you just summed it up. This is my place in life. This is what I was chosen to do. And, you know, no matter how it might become, you know, uh, tiresome, 
it might become, you know, you feel like you can't do it one more day. What else would I do? What else would I do with just sit at home and, and do nothing? No, this is what I was chosen to do, and this is what I'll do. This is my job. The, everybody has a job. I have a job that takes me to different places and make it so that I can meet different people. And so I think my job is very interesting. I think my job is very unusual and I get a chance to enjoy it all over the world. So yeah, this is my job and I love it. And you really do. And uh, actually, I'll, I'll, I'll ask one last question because I just thought of it. Uh, Of course, the song for the love of money has been around forever and a lot of bands and a lot of artists, Todd Rundgren, uh, Katie Seagal, Backstreet Boys, uh, Bullet Boys, Queensryche, they've all covered it. Um, do, when, when bands cover it, first of all, do you seek out to listen to them and say, hey, and when you hear somebody like Todd Rundgren, who's really not in the same vein as an OJ or, or, or Queensryche, which is a heavy metal band doing it, how do you react to that, to these different interpretations of, of your songs? It, it, it's funny you mentioned Todd. Because Todd Rundgren, he came to the Apollo Theater one night to to see James Brown, and then that we were on that show, and and that night he got a chance to see the OJ's, and it was no longer about James Brown; it was about the OJ's. We became his 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 group, and he felt like he had to be involved. And he feel he felt what we were doing, and he feels our music, and it was great. It's just a great thing. It was great, really. and I hear the I hear the bell, which means we're done. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Eddie, an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, and my pleasure, uh, Continued man. success. You of take course. care. Merci. Bonsoir. Good night. Thank you. Take care. Want to take a shower with Mitch? Hey Siri, play Rock Talk with Mitch Lafon. I couldn't find Rock Talk with Mitch Lafon in your music. Ugh, she never works. Well, that was a lot of fun. Uh, Hey, the OJs, come on. If you're going to get an interview with the OJs, you just got to do it. And uh, I also have uh, coming up uh, Peter Noon of Herman's Hermits. Uh, Somebody offered me that and I went, yeah, I want to talk to them. I I like talking to all these classic artists. It's, you know, listen, as Billy Joel would say, it's all rock and roll to me. But let's move on to our next guest, Mark Martell. He does have a new album out called The Christmas Collection. It is available now, and he is touring. He also does his Queen show. If you need to find him, you can go over to Twitter, at Mark Martell, or you can also just visit markmartellmusic.com. And, of course, he's on Facebook and Instagram. And Well, you know what? Let's just get to him. Here is native Canadian, le seul et unique, the one, the only, Mark Martell. We are speaking with a singer, Mark Martell. The new album, of course, is The Christmas Collection, featuring uh, all kinds of great songs and great stuff. Uh, as we say in Montreal, bonjour, Mark. Comment allez-vous? How are you? Ça va très bien, Mitch. I'm doing very well. Thank you very much. Yes, and it's funny because I, 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 that's sort of my opening line for every interview. And, uh, you know, yesterday I was talking to the guys of Guns N' Roses and it was like, uh-huh. But of course, you're 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 from here, so uh, it's not no surprise at all. So, talk to me about this about this Christmas album because it's not it is not the first. Uh, you did do mm-hmm. one with the band down here, uh, yeah, back in well, um, uh, yeah. When, when, when was that one? That was uh, 
2008, I believe. 2007 or 8. Uh, how many kings write songs for Christmas? So 2009. 2009. Nine. 2009. I know my own... Uh, Your own, my own discography. So, so just talk to me about... Yeah, uh, yeah. Let's go with the importance of the season, the importance of Christmas. We are December of 2019. So talk to me about that and then mm-hmm. choosing the songs and then choosing the, the, the performance of the songs because there's different ways yeah. to perform these Christmas songs. Well, I, uh, I grew up in a really musical home, as many musicians do, I guess. Um, my mom is the piano player in my dad's church to this day. Um, and actually, my first musical memories are of Christmas music, honestly, growing up in St. Hubert. Uh, my parents, for some reason, loved uh, the Oak Ridge Boys, and who are, you know, a, a Nashville country band. And not knowing that, you know, 20 years later, I'd be moving to Nashville, Tennessee and making it my home. I've been there for almost 20 years now. But, uh, yeah, I've always loved Christmas music, as, as it shows that I did, a, I did a whole album with my old band down here. And then when I got married in 2010... Uh, my wife made me promise her to uh, record a Christmas album for her, like a solo project. And I thought, okay, well, m- maybe we'll do that someday. And then uh, when I hired my new manager in 2016, he was like, you-, you wrote, you know, one of the best songs you ever wrote is How Many Kings, and it's a Christmas song. And, and, you know, we really need to, you know, you seem to have a knack for that. And I was like, okay, well, let's do a Christmas EP. And then the next year we did another one, and the next year we did another one. So I've been living in Christmas music for <laughs> pretty much four years straight. And we decided to put all of my Christmas uh, music onto one album, the Christmas collection, um, which, you know, has how many Kings from 2009, uh, but also a bunch of brand new interpretations of uh, holiday favorites. Which is great. Of course, uh, there is a a, a tour, a small tour. You're currently on the road. A few more dates where we're we're getting to the end of December, but uh, we've got Sioux Falls on uh, Sunday and it goes all the way to Medford, New Jersey. Uh, talk to me about that because some of the some of the shows are with Amy Grant, others are with Michael W. Smith. Yeah. Uh, what are yeah, fans getting in the a, show? Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of, a lot of people know me because of my work, my tribute work with Queen. Um, but you know what? I, I actually didn't even grow up listening to Queen. I'm fairly new when I say fairly new. I, I, like I've been into Queen for at least 15 years now. But uh, I, you know, in the house growing up, we we didn't have that. We didn't have classic rock playing. We had a lot of gospel music, and, and Michael W. Smith and Amy Grant were one of the two of the staples in our house. And so it's kind of a dream come true to be on the road with these two. And, and, and they have been doing a Christmas concert for years and years, and um, they're kind of synonymous in, in my books with Christmas. And to be invited to play with them and to share the stage with these legends, really amazing. So we've got um, three more shows with Amy and Michael. Um, and tonight we're in Minneapolis. Uh, but then after the three shows are over, I continue on with just Michael W. Smith opening for him. Um, and it's less of a, it's less of an opening slot as much as it is a a guest slot. Like I'm, I'm mixed in throughout the evening instead of just warming up the crowd right before Michael gets on. So I'll come out and do a couple duets with him and, you know, do a couple on my own. So it's a really ideal situation. I'm having a great time, especially after, 2019 has been the craziest year of my life. I've been all over the world. And um, for Christmas, I just kind of get to lay back, save my voice a little bit, and pop in every now and then on stage. On stage. Now, you did mention Queen, and I will ask you a Queen question, but I'll, I'll wait for that. I do want to talk mm-hmm. to you about down here, the, the, the Christian rock band from Canada. Because being in Canada, you know, we have the, the, the CanCon rules, and for my American listeners, Canadian content rules. and yeah. 
you know, the marketplace in Canada is fractured and is difficult for the best of them, whether you're a Brian Adams or a Honeymoon Suite, or it becomes difficult. Was there any particular challenge being a Christian rock band? Was, was there, and I don't want to use the word stigma, but I can't think of another word. So, But the people say, <laughs> but you know, but the people go, oh, he's a rock band. Oh, no. Oh, a Christian. Oh, right. Like, was was that just an, an extra layer of difficulty or being in Canada? It just didn't matter. Music was music. Uh, you know, of course, there's always always the stigma. There's a, a certain perception of what uh, a Christian band is going to sound like. You know, we we didn't set out to sound like anyone when, when we formed our band. You know, I, what would a my the band was kind of formed between me and and my best friend at the time, Jason Germain, and and uh, we we saw in each other something super original. Like when I first met him, he had these influences from Eastern Canada, like a lot of maritime almost like Celtic, but epic at the same time. And mixed with my like more straight down the middle mainstream rock sound, I think we came up with something pretty original. Um, and I think that in itself was a challenge for us because we didn't sound like most other um, Christian acts. Um, we were a little more gritty, a um, little more raw. Our lyrics were very earnest, <laughs> but uh, you know, we were talking about some pretty deep stuff. Um, but we, we moved down to the States like right away after we got signed to a record deal. We weren't even looking for a record deal. We went to college in Saskatchewan, formed the band there. And we thought that we'd end up moving to like Toronto or something. Um, but then we got signed to a record label in Nashville, Tennessee, and we've, we've been down there ever since. Um, and when you're in Nashville, Tennessee, you're surrounded by basically the industry. Um, and, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of in a bubble in Nashville because everyone's sort of working in the music industry and creating similarly themed music. Um, so we didn't really spend as much time as we would have liked in, up in Canada. Uh, but we did, you know, we did win like uh, three or four Juno awards. So it was, four. it was nice to get that sort of. Four yeah. Of yeah. I've got <laughs> yeah. it. All, I've got it all so, uh, noted here, but so were you trying to be the striper of the North? And I, and I only say that cause I'm friends with Michael. <laughs> Well, I don't know. I mean, Striper definitely had their own sound. I, you know, I never got into the hair metal thing, but uh, you know, they definitely made their point, their mark. Yeah, they did, and and uh, yeah, I just I just mentioned that because I'm good friends with Michael, their their lead singer. He's a good yeah. good dude. But all right, so let, let's talk. Uh, let's talk Queen. I mean, I'm sure you've heard the questions a million times, but if you insist, if you insist, allons-y. <laughs> um, <laughs> you of course uh, were part of the uh, the biopic, the the Bohemian Rhapsody. You, you lent your voice to it. You you got a, a sort of a an interesting credit. Just you know, sort of. Oh, he was there. Uh, talk to me a little yeah. bit about that. And I know you have an NDA in place, and so you can't sort of elaborate mm-hmm. too much. But but talk to me just about yeah. being considered to have your voice included in what is going to be sort of the seminal representation of what this band was and is. And, um, you know, here's this little kid from Montreal, right? And now you're singing in what was the biggest sort of biopic of the year. Yeah. A painfully shy kid from Montreal, actually. Um, never thought I would be, you know, making a career on stage, but, um, here we are, but yeah, I mean, I've had a relationship with Queen since, like late 2011 and very early on um, Queens manager, Jim Beach had mentioned to me that they were in talks uh, with movie studios about making a movie about either Freddie or the band, or they weren't quite sure what it was going to look like. They said, but, but he did say that he would, 
he would love to, you know, have me involved in, in any way vocally if they needed any help in that domain. And of course, I was like, oh man, of course, I, I would love to. That'd be a dream come true. I've never uh, worked in the movie industry at all. It's been all strictly music and they're very different industries. Um, but uh, I, I guess I, I know a little enough about Hollywood to know that these these ideas that are just in the works and there's nothing sort of uh, tangible yet. It, it could be years, even decades before it gets made. Um, so I wasn't holding my breath, but in 2016, sure enough, just kind of, uh, it was right after they had announced that they'd found Brahmi Malik for the lead role. Uh, we got a call from one of the producers, the main producers of, of the movie, um, asking if we'd be interested in, in helping out on the vocal side of things. And I was ecstatic. We were super excited. And, uh, you know, one thing led to another and I was, found myself in England recording vocals, uh, for, which was going to end up being the greatest, the biggest biopic of all time. And uh, I still have to pinch myself about it. It's really surreal still. It, it really is. So, so talk to me a little bit about this because, uh, you know, a lot of fans have said, well, Mark should be the lead singer of Queen and the band Queen has said, well, listen, we really don't want some guy who's going to be Freddie up there. We, we like what Adam does. He offers a different kind of element. Um, is that something that, that, that was disappointing to you to not get that slot? Or do you sort of understand where they're coming from of, hey, yeah, it's okay that they continue and have a different kind of flavor and a different lead singer? Listen, I, I am working uh, much <laughs> more than I ever have in my entire life. Uh, you know, I have been all over the world this year doing my own show. I have full creative control of, of, uh, my tribute show. It's a lot of fun. Um, you know, people have their, their opinions and the ability to voice said opinions all over the internet these days. And, uh, it's a weird, a weird, weird world to be in to, to have such a, an ability to hear what people are thinking, it, no matter what, what it is, whatever side of an argument they're on. Um, you know, I, of course, if, if Queen were to approach me someday and say, hey, would you like to be our lead singer? You know, that kind of feels stupid to say, nah, I'm good. But, but uh, I am, I'm so happy these days doing, doing my own thing. And, uh, you know, it really, it really allows me to do whatever I want. I, I get to do Queen. Who knows how long this will last? You know, Queen is on people's minds this year. Uh, I'm sure it'll be for more years to come. But uh, I love singing my own thing. I'm going to be working on some of my own music next year. And um, it's this, this whole Queen thing has opened so many doors for me that I would have never dreamed of, and I'm super thankful for it. Yeah, and, and I, I will go with one last question on Queen, and then I'll just ask you about, about doing your own thing. But uh, throughout all of this, throughout the voice being spot on, throughout uh, the band choosing you for their musical, throughout you know, the movie, and you do have you have said that you will refuse to wear the yellow jacket on on stage. You mm-hmm. you, you won't do the yeah. half microphone. You won't grow the full mustache. Yeah, is that out of respect that, or or is that to not become a parody? In a, and I don't mean that in a, a disrespectful way, but you know what I'm saying, it, right? Well, it is. It's it's both. It's all of those reasons. It's all of that. Um, I had a weird feeling about. Well, you know, here here's the thing. I I never grew up aspiring to be a tribute artist. I never grew up aspiring to sing someone else's music. I became a songwriter in my early teens. And uh, th- I thought that that was going to be the career path. Like many musicians, you just end up, you know, uh, 
working really hard and, and building something from the ground up and working on your songwriting craft. And then out of the blue in 2011, this thing about me, which I thought was just going to be a parlor trick for the rest of my life, like something to whip out at karaoke every now and then, uh, suddenly becomes the biggest thing in my life. And, uh, but the, the, the stipulation I had was that I'm not interested in pretending to be someone else. I'm not interested in, uh, taking credit for someone else's work. Um, and when Roger Taylor started that whole thing, the, the queen extravaganza, where he opened up auditions to anyone in North America, the fine print said, we will not be having you dress up like queen and pretending you're queen. This is not a dress up tribute band. This is a tribute to the music. Uh, you know, don't be mistaken. And that was the, the thing in the, the fine print that, that, that made it so that I could allow myself to be a part of this. I was like, Oh, this is interesting. This isn't like any tribute band I've ever heard of. Like we're not going to be pretending to be the artists. Um, we're kind of giving our own interpretation of this music. And I just happened to sound very close to their lead singer and I happened to love their music. And, um, so yeah, that, that's a fine line that I walk every time I perform Queen's music is how do I be myself? How do I inject my own creativity while honoring the music, honoring Freddie Mercury and all the, the great work that he's done? Um, and I really love trying to walk that fine line every time I get on stage. It's a lot of fun. And there's no mistaking if you come to see the show that I'm not trying to be Freddie. And I might give a little nod to uh, a move that he, you know, an iconic move that he would have done or something like that. But uh, I'm always, it's always, it's a, it's a tribute person uh, show in the third person. Like I'm always talking about Queen. I'm, I'm uh, giving a little, little history anecdotes here and there. And um, it's a, it's a lot of fun. I love that perspective in a tribute show. So I'm going to, I know, I know we're running out of time. So I'll ask you these two final questions uh, on that. Mm -hmm. Uh, in terms of finding your voice, uh, w where did it come from? Was it, is this a natural ability that you just had and then somebody said, hey, boy, you sound like that guy in Queen? Or did you take a lot of lessons and your parents sat you down and said, okay, we're in a musical house and you need to go learn piano? And Where did the, the talent come from? Was it sort of inspiration or perspiration, if you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, mostly it was, uh, you know, like I said, I grew up a really shy kid and my mom just reminded me recently that I was always more happy to stay inside and play the piano and listen to music than go out and play with my friends, which to some people it's like, Oh, that's sad. But you know, I wouldn't be here today if I didn't have that personality. Um, and I would, you know, sit for hours in my bedroom listening to George Michael and Richard Marks and all these, you know, singers with high voices and trying to figure out where, where my voice sat most comfortably. And I never took voice lessons. It was all just from listening to other singers. I took plenty of piano lessons. Um, but, uh, you know, when I started my, my old band down here, almost immediately when we started playing shows, people would come up to me after a show saying, they, they're not saying you sound like Richard Marks or George Michael. They're all saying the same thing. I sound like Freddie Mercury. And so um, it really is a natural thing. No matter what I'm singing, uh, people always hear Freddie in my voice. And, um, you know, he did it first. <laughs> So uh, there's always going to be that aspect in my career. And um, I've definitely gotten my arms around that whole idea. And I've really uh, I've totally uh, accepted it and, and embrace it. Yeah, it's great. And, and by the way, sitting inside listening to music as a kid, that sounds like, like a perfect afternoon for me, actually. I, I'm, I'm down with that. There you go. 
Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's perfect. And and I'll, I will finish on this. Uh, you do, of course, do your own music. You had down here. You're doing your own thing. You have this uh, Christmas collection. And, and I will tie it in, unfortunately, to the Queen thing. But how much of it hurts what you're doing as a solo artist and how much of it helps what you're doing as a solo artist? Like when people go, oh, he's the guy who did the Queen thing. Do they go, oh, well, I'm not going to listen to the original album? Or do they go... Oh, really? Let me check out what he's doing. Like, it sort of cuts both ways, right? And so how do you sort of perceive it? Does it cut more in the negative or does it cut more in the positive? You know, I love how weird my story is, honestly. Um, it's something that you couldn't, you couldn't, what's the expression? You couldn't write this stuff. Um, I would have never predicted this career path, but it's only been positive. It's opened my audience, like, the floodgates have opened in the last couple of years to just being exposed to larger audiences and, and people come on my Facebook page because of the queen thing. And then they're like, well, that's where they discover that I'm, you know, not just a tribute artist. They've got my own thing going on and I've got a lot going on at Christmas, especially, and people are buying my albums and this would have never happened had Roger Taylor not come along with a crazy idea to start his own tribute band, which I don't think that's ever been attempted in the history of rock. So um, I love it. I, I love that it's outside the box. It's like nothing I've ever heard before, but I'm here like, you know, just sailing along uh, with my, my small team, my manager, my wife, um, who are, you know, helping me navigate these kind of uh, new territory. So, uh, yeah, it, it's all fun for me. Yeah. And, and, and listen, I'll say from my perspective, I think it caught's positive for you because I obviously discovered you through the the Queen thing and I went, Ah, and then, you know, for example, this interview was offered and I was like, oh, yeah, I want to talk about the Christmas collection. I want to talk to this guy. First of all, he's from Montreal. And it's a great story. And so I, I don't think this is hurting you in, in any way, shape or form, in fact. Um, and with that, uh, as we say in Montreal, merci beaucoup. Thank you, Mark. It's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, anytime, let's do this again. Cheers. Merci. Chat to you soon, hopefully. Thank you. Yes, sir. Bonsoir. Good night. Cheers. This has been Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. For more exclusive content and interviews, subscribe on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, on YouTube, and many more. Follow Mitch on all the socials, especially Twitter, at Mitch LaFon, and on Instagram, at Mitch underscore LaFon. Get your Mitch merch now at loudtracks.com slash Mitch.